You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Now, we've been on the King's Table series for about a month now, formulating an idea of what it means to draw people and to unite people to Jesus. This series purposes to help us understand the areas that we need to work on. Now, for the past three weeks or month, I should say, were there in the sermons that you've been hearing, do you feel like you've been lacking in certain areas? I certainly have, right? Um, and so, kind of in the way that King David did for Mephibosheth, that all people, including the ones who even sit next to us on Sundays, they need to know that they can approach uh, the king's table with ease, right, with grace. That there won't be any prerequisites to dine with us, that there won't be any stipulation to enter into our fellowship and fellowship with him. And more importantly, there is no qualification to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Man, just think if there are any qualifications to encounter God. That would be horrible. None of us would make it. Praise God for his grace. Thank the Lord for his mercy. And so far we've discussed redemption, faith, and prayer as the pillars at which our tables are founded on. And so today I'd like to invite you to the table of joy. And turn to David and say, welcome to the table of joy. So here we are back in the book of Nehemiah. If you don't ever recall ever going through this book, then welcome back to our church because it was a six-month-long series. So here's a brief summary just to kind of jog our memory. Nehemiah was a Hebrew living in Persia. He found out that the temple in Jerusalem was being reconstructed, but he grew nervous because the city was constantly under threat by neighboring opposition. And so in a way to fend off that, he asked God if he could go and build the wall to protect the city. And so what God did was he said, yes, of course, but he also softened the heart of the Persian king. And so Nehemiah miraculously not only got the king's blessings, but the king's supplies and provisions to build the city, uh, to build the wall as well. And so he went and he, got, he went there with the people and he started constructing the place and building up the wall. And during that time, he faced all sorts of accusations and oppositions. But the people in Nehemiah, they continued to build and build and build and give their offerings to support this great cause. And just like in the series, God was calling each and every one of us to be a part of the great build of Shining Star to keep building and to keep building and to keep building and to keep giving and to keep giving and to do what we can to support the kingdom of God, to support the ministry, to support one another. And you will face accusations. You will face oppositions. But God is saying, persevere. Keep going and going. Turn to your neighbor and say, we must persevere. persevere. Now the building process was difficult. It was a tough race, but Nehemiah, he kept urging the people to not quit. And the people, they certainly worked hard. In fact, in record-breaking time, they rebuilt the wall in 52 days. Now, this rebuilding project involved everyone, from moms and dads and grandparents and teenagers and everyone and anyone who's remotely able-bodied. And so they all chipped in, and so they all knew the difficulty of chipping in, of 
putting forth to build this massive wall. And they all knew their past as well. They knew kind of the, the, the baggage that they brought into the city as well. They all had a rough past because of the exile. And their worst days were only a few weeks behind them. Their forefathers sinned against God. You know what God did? He used the Assyrians to come and invade them and conquer them as a form of judgment. Then what did the people do? Oh my goodness, we're being conquered, enslaved. We're bound by these Assyrians. So they cried out to God and they repented and said, Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us. We have transgressed, transgressed against you. Come back to us, O Lord. And the Lord in his mercy and grace said, I will come back. And so the people repented and the Lord redeemed them and he reconciled them back to him and he forgave them the people experienced a season of great revival and joy but then what happened afterwards the people fall back into sin and they would disobey God and they were rebellious against God and God said don't do that or you know what's going to happen you heard what you know what happened with your previous generation with the series you know what's going to happen the next and people continue sin so what did God do he sent the Babylonians in to invade and to conquer and to bring as a sense of form of judgment upon them and the people were in slave and they cry out to God saying, Lord, we made another mistake. Have mercy on us. Have grace on us. We need you to save us. And Lord in his mercy and grace said, fine, I will. I will save you and I will show you how much I love you. And so the Lord, he allowed them to, uh, to grow <clears throat> to be reconciled back to him. There was revival. There was change. And all that happened. But then what happened? The, the Israelites again sinned. They sinned and they rebelled against God. They were apostates. They, they went against the words of the Lord, and so God said, I warned you. And people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't remember. Yeah, you stubbed your toe last year. You don't really remember the pain now. These people, they're saying, yeah, we sinned. Yeah, our, our dad sinned and, and so on, but we don't really care. And God said, fine, I'm bringing the Persians in. The Persians, they're going to come invade, conquer, and they're my former judgment upon you. And so now... That's what, that was their history. And now the people who were building the wall, they knew their forefathers had made some choices that cost them dearly. In fact, it ruined the next generation. So these people, they grew up with a lot of just kind of weight and burden and discouragement, a lot of disappointment. Maybe at this point, they're just numb to the entire experience and they're just waiting for sin to come back in and for the cycle of judgment to come around. Talk about baggage. Talk about a lot of pain, a lot of angst. When you get to the point of total exhaustion, sometimes it might be easy to just give up. That sounds a lot better than resisting and persevering. To give up doesn't sound just like an, like an option, but almost like a welcome invitation. Don't give up on the patience meter. Turn to them and say, don't give up. Don't become bitter that you stop enjoying one another. Have you ever gotten so mad and so frustrated with life that you just, you just want to isolate yourself? And you don't want to be around people, even people that you know and love? You're like, ugh. So, I mean, before we had caller ID, you had to pick up every call. But now we look and we're like, ah, PD again, no. And then now we have the option. We can press a text and it says, I'm busy right now. I'll text you later or something like that. Right? We do that. Parents, don't let frustration stop you from teaching your children the values that you know are important to you. Values are important to God. You know, right now I want to give a shout out to all the stay-at-home moms and dads. Everyone, how, how would you repeat that? Um, shout out to all the moms and dads. I don't know. 
Shout out to all the moms and dads who stay and teach their kids, who feed their kids. And you're probably thinking we're supposed to feed and teach your kids. Well, I know, but just bear with me. Who feed their kids and teach their kids, who wash their kids, who keep the house in order, wash so many dishes that without extra strength lotion, their skin would be cracking. Shout out to the countless loads of laundry that you have to do each day, driving your kids back and forth from sports practice, from tutoring, from uh, from what else do you have? Piano lessons, if you're, if you're Asian, violin lessons. Um, all the while resisting the urges, plop them in front of an iPad or TV for hours a day. It's tiring. It's difficult. No doubt, but even in the mundane task of domestic life, you must not give up. And instead, you must find joy. Even in the most simplest of tasks, I remind her what this one Stay-at-home mom said when someone condescendingly asked her, so what do you do all day? You heard that, right? I know, it just makes you, for those of you who are parents, you're like, ugh. So what do you do all day? I'm working 9 and 5, and I come home, and, and I'll make dinner for my kids. But you know, between that 9 and 5, do you, do you even get out of your jammies? What do you do all day? And so this one mom said to them, Oh, I am just socializing two homo sapiens into a dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. What about you? <laughs> Whatever your role is, whether you're a student or a working professional or a stay-at-home parent, one thing we must know is that persevering, okay, in our lives it's not just about bearing the hardships. That's not what persevering is. It's more. You see, perseverance is about turning our moments of difficulty into moments of glory. You get that? It's, it's about, in other words, it's about making those moments that are just so difficult and that seem so bleak and so pointless at times, so mundane, into moments that you can glorify the Lord. We can bring it back to him. In Galatians 6, Paul says, For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Scripture reminds us that if we do not give up, we will surely see the reward of it. So wherever you are in life, don't stop. Don't stop studying. Don't stop parenting. Don't stop working. Don't stop serving. Don't stop. When I uh, took the guys up, the men, to the Shenandoah campsite, was it last year? A part, um, <clears throat> a part of the trek of the, of the trail that we were on, it kind of overlapped with the Appalachian Trail. And so before I went on the trip with, my, with the guys, I did my homework, and I read up on it and tried to figure out just where the best course and just wanted to know the history. So I read a lot of different articles. I read a lot of different kind of review forums and, and um, just kind of uh, testimonies of people who have already been on the trail. And I came across in my findings... <clears throat> of a few guys, these middle-aged guys, and decide to train and condition their bodies for several weeks to do a 40-mile uh, hiking circuit, okay? So not the entire length, but at least 40 miles of it, which is still huge. And so when they got there, after about three hours of hiking, their legs just got sore. They got really tired, really thirsty, and they were also kind of in a higher altitude, so they were getting kind of lightheaded as well. And so they all just kind of collapsed and sat down to just take a break, to drink some water and to recoup. 
Now, they knew that they needed to get to a particular campsite in order to stay within their daily checkpoints. And so as they sat there, completely exhausted, feeling hopeless, where is this site? We've been going for three hours. My legs are killing, killing me. This, and I'm just tired. Where is this place? The campsite was nowhere near them. They thought, and they heard from a distance, a group of elderly women just hiking towards them. And the senior women, they halted in front of the guys, and they said, you young men all right? And the men said, we're just, we're just tired, and uh, we need a rest. And then they asked the lady, how far, how much further was the uh, nor- northern point, the point where the campsite was located? And the lady replied, oh, yeah, the northern campsite, it's just right up there, but you'd have to be standing to see that. <laughs> and went, went on with her friends. <laughs> I love that. Sassy. Right? None of you guys get it? All right. Look, we may need rest when it's difficult, but we must never stop altogether. But what we often do is that we tend to stop when it's crucial, especially to our spiritual well-being. Instead of stopping the excessive traveling that we often do or excessive Netflix binging that takes you into the next day and when you're so tired that you can't even do anything the next day, instead of stopping and doing those late-night parties or whatever, we need to, we need to stop the things of God. We, we, we tend to stop the things of God before anything else. So I know a lot of people who say, Pastor David, I've become so busy with work and busy with life. I got into a relationship. I got a new job or perhaps I got promoted and, and I'm also taking classes doing this too or and all this stuff. So Pastor David, I need to take a step back and I want to step away from life group. I want to take a step away from youth Bible teaching or praise or praise band worship, or anything related to services at church. I need to kind of dial it back with my commitment to the children's ministry for VBS or Awana or something like that. And I always found, found those to be such odd requests. I'm so busy, so PD, I need to step away from church. Of all the things to remove yourself from because of your busy schedule, let me ask you this. Is removing one of the few remaining spiritual anchors of your life the best way to get your life in order? To calm the storms of your life? Last I heard, anchors kept you grounded and kept you strong in the midst of the crashing waves of life. When your life is difficult, don't just quit and stop everything. Most of all, don't quit the one thing God is using to challenge you and to grow you spiritually. Amen? Guys, we need to be spiritually aggressive. We do. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to be spiritually aggressive. I remember that was the one thing my parents always said, not the spiritual part, but growing up. Because, you know, growing up, you always get compared to other people. I guess we all still do that now. But I remember I, I, had, a, I had a good friend who always got straight A's and, and who got, like, top scores and stuff like that. And, and then my parents would always say, Davey, <laughs> you can speak English. You can do anything. Why aren't you a perfect child? And I was like, uh, and then they said, you need to be more aggressive. Be more aggressive. It's true, I think, to a certain extent. 
And I don't think I was aggressive enough. And maybe for us, we got to ask ourselves, is God so important in our lives that, that where, we just, where we stop altogether being pursuing him? Like how much more important is he in us, in our lives, than anything else? You know, this or, I'm, sure, I'm not sure if it was last week, a new revolutionary game came out called Pokemon Go. I'm not going to say it's, it's a silly thing or not or whatever. I'll leave that up to the individual. But have you been just hearing the news surrounding it lately? People are literally dying in pursuit of these elusive digital creatures. A girl recently got hit by a car because her head was down and she was chasing after some pokey thing. People wandered into dark alleys and have gotten mugged because they need to grab that Power Ranger. And I heard that a couple guys actually fell off a cliff because they weren't paying attention to the surroundings as they were chasing down a Hello Kitty or whatever. <laughs> like, what's going on right now? Parents who normally never care to hang out with their kids are now engaged in chasing after Ninja Turtles. This is crazy. And yet when it comes to our relationship with God, we think sitting down or being apathetic or just removing ourselves from things of God is the right call. I'll go ahead and kind of distance myself from more fellowship, distance myself from church, distance myself from scripture reading, distance myself from prayer and from community and from church and all of these things of God. And the Lord says, no, don't give up. We must never stop chasing after God and delighting in the things that God delights in. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now here's my second point. It comes from verse 10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Perhaps you've said this verse before. It's a popular verse. It's an incredible little phrase that's often quoted. Maybe you even have a piece of wood or artwork hanging over your door mantle that says it right there. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But what does it mean? I think it's important to place the right emphasis over the right words to sometimes make sense of the, of the things. So we could say, we could say, the joy of the Lord is, our, is your strength. We could also say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We can also say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But is that where the real emphasis is? No, I think it's here. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me tell you, as a parent... As a dad, I like to impress my daughter. It doesn't take much, you know. So she'll, I'll say, I'm bringing some groceries in, and, and then Ada will always, the help that she has, her name actually means helper, so it's perfect that way. She said, like, yeah, I want to help. And I said, okay, so I'll give her like a melt, not, melt, not watermelon, but like a small little melon or something like that. And she'll carry it and stuff like that. And I'll say, look, Ada, look at what daddy can do. And of course, you know, I'll get like five plastic bags that are filled with like bread or like toilet paper. And I'll be like, ooh, and she's like, wow. I'm like, yeah. You know, and I'll carry inside the house. I'm like, look how strong dad is. And my wife is rolling her eyes. Beta's like, yes, yes, that's my dad. But even as a dad, as a parent, even as a pastor, my strength is limited, but not God's. There's no limit to what he offers and what he can do through us and for us. You believe that? You believe that all of God's might and strength is for you. It's backing you up. Nothing can go against him. Nothing. But what is that joy then that Nehemiah was talking about? What is the joy of our Lord? You see, Nehemiah was asking the people to celebrate on a particular day, on a sacred day. 
the day that they worshiped the holiness of God. In that holiness and joy were to go hand in hand. He was telling people to go and to eat and to give to others in need and to rejoice. You see, joy meant more than happiness because happiness is self-centered. Whereas joy is God-centered and God-glorifying. Can you say that? Joy is God-centered. You ask someone why they're so happy, they'll say, oh, because I got a promotion, or I got a raise, or I got straight A's, or, or I got asked out on a date. You see, happiness is all about me. Joy is about God. That's why people who are often very visibly and expressively happy are oftentimes those who are also very visibly and expressively depressed, because it goes both ways, because happiness is all circumstantial. When times are good, man, you want to hang out with these people. But when times are bad, it's down. And I think it's an insult to bring happiness and connection with God. In Psalm 40, the psalmist says, I delight to do your will, O Lord, O my God. And in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Who for the joy thou set before him endured the cross? You see, joy isn't circumstantial. Happiness is. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy is not a what, joy is a who. Joy is Jesus. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is eternal. The source of happiness changes with the times. The sources of our joy is constant and unchanging, our Savior. Nehemiah's joy of the Lord was in the holiness and perfection of God in all his glory. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. Here it is. Nehemiah trusted in the will of God, and the will of God was found in the word of God. So where did Nehemiah find such joy? It was in this very chapter, starting from verse 1, when he began reading aloud to the people the words of God's law. Do you see the connection? Joy isn't some out-of-body experience that we should long for. It's not some emotional high we get coming back from a retreat or some praise night. Joy is reflecting upon the word of God that declares Christ our King as the singular joy of the Father. That's why quiet time isn't just a checkbox for us to complete. Quiet time is where we find out who my Savior is. And that he is the joy of my salvation. You know, living a full and overflowing life does not and will not give you peace. And a life full of rest, it just will not do that for you. It's when we pursue a perfect understanding of God and in the same process and same oneness with him that Jesus enjoys that leads us to a life filled with joy that cannot be compared to anything else in this world. It is joy in Christ Jesus. Nothing can compare, even come close to that satisfaction. Don't mix up joyful face with real joy either. There can be a lot of people who feign joy. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't pretend it. In fact, just see how they are during life trials and you'll see the smile quickly 
fade and disappear. Joy isn't always some external shine of your pearly whites. Joy is the internal shine that emerges in the form. Get this. Joy is the internal shine and radiance that emerges in the form of steadfastness in worship, steadfastness in commitment, steadfastness in faith, steadfastness in hope, and steadfastness in prayer. That's how you know when someone's filled with joy. If you face a tragedy, of course, cry. Don't be dead inside. Being joyful doesn't mean that you're immune to pain, but it's one thing to mourn when it's time to mourn, but it's another thing to say that all is lost and hopeless. Joy comes from faith, faith in God who is in control over our life circumstances. You see, the supernatural origin of having joy in the Lord, our gladness in our hearts typically shines brightest through the trials that we face. And no matter how difficult your position may be, whether it's in your relationships, in your marriage, in your school, in your jobs, in your health, or anything else in life, know this, that as children of God, no one can take us away from the Father. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, we're told that we're heirs to an inheritance that can never perish, that can never spoil or fade. Let me give you a reason to be joyful. Your soul is secure in the hands of God. We don't have to doubt our salvation because we never saved ourselves in the first place. God did. Having the joy of the Lord leads people to do some crazy, inexplicable things. You know, the disciples, they were threatened because they kept on talking about Jesus. They kept on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the people, they threatened them, said, don't ever say his name. And they go, okay, we'll continue even louder now. And so they got him, and they beat him, and they whipped him, and they flogged him, and they scourged him. But what did the disciples do? They went right back into the city, and they start proclaiming even louder the glory of Jesus Christ and of his salvation. So they beat them up again for it, but they were unfazed. They just went back rejoicing because they considered it worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ. People will say in the midst of your tragedies and difficulties, just focus on yourself. I know that he messed you up. I know that she messed you up. You need to find out and discover who you are. No. You see, it was, that was the problem. It was focusing in on myself that led me to this point of hopelessness. What we need to do is focus on God. Focus on the promises of God. Focus on who he is because it's the joy of our Lord, not the joy of us. My last point is that we need to practice joy. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need to practice joy. Now, we all know that joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5.22, we had that series as well. But it's something that we must train to exercise. You know, I've been called out of my home on numerous occasions to meet, counsel, and pray with members. And no matter how tired it was, no matter how inconvenient that time may have been or how difficult the situation may have been, never once, not a single time did I ever leave that encounter, that meeting, thinking it was a waste of time. Nehemiah gave up the feast allotted to the governor. He was the governor. He had more portions. He had better quality of food, but he gave that up. He gave up the other luxuries to be with his people, to eat with his people, and to lay bricks with them. And it was through that process of being with his people that he was able to share in their struggles, but also share, more importantly, in their joy. 
I mean, that was Nehemiah's theory of joy. Because the Levites, the priests, they gave the command, because there were ones reading around and saying, this is the command of God. And they said, the command of God is this, be joyful. Can you imagine that? Just going around saying, be joyful, be joyful, be joyful. This is the command of God. Thus says the Lord, be joyful, be joyful. And you're thinking, okay. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of when I was like in first, second grade of Sunday school. And I didn't know who Jesus was or why I needed him. But I did know one thing, according to my Sunday school teachers. And that was that I had to be joyful because of him. And so every Sunday, I would have to sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And it meant nothing to me. And whenever I would stop singing, because there was only like 12 of us, so you knew who was singing who wasn't. I was just there, the tall, lanky one, just in the back in the corner, just staring at people awkwardly. And I, was, I wasn't singing. They'd say, sing it, David. Sing that you have joy of the Lord. I was like, I have the joy, 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 joy of the Lord in my heart. It was like the Levitical priest saying, be joyful, declare it, be joyful, thus says the Lord, be joyful. It does nothing. And maybe that's how the people of Nehemiah also felt until they actually went away and put it into practice. It was when they prepared a feast and when they sat down and when they tasted the food together that they had, that they had an idea of how great this was. It was until they broke bread together that they had no concept of how delightful fellowship was. They sang songs together. They celebrated together. They literally practiced joy. And when they practiced it, they experienced the realness of joy. Right now, 18 of you as small group leaders and the rest of you as members of the small groups are given an opportunity to experience what Nehemiah and his people experience. Meeting with people, it's not an option in the eyes of God. You see, oftentimes in our understanding, we think small groups, life groups, these church fellowships, they're all optional. In the eyes of God, it's not. It's a way of spiritual growth and maturity. It's hearing from others and doing life together that spurs us on and convicts us when we're straying from the path, when we're discouraged from a long week of work or from people attacking us, maybe spiritual attacks as well. It's when we gather with our sisters in Christ. It's when we gather with our brothers in Christ who then encourage us and affirm us and that, that brings such delight into our souls as they remind us, you know what, as hard as life is, as trying as and difficult your circumstances are, know this, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's why, brothers and sisters, I urge you, continue to persevere to meet with one another. Open up your homes. Provide food. Do anything you can without ever expecting anything in return. You see, when we joyfully invest in God's church and in his people, we will sooner or later see the fruit of our labor. So I urge you all to continue on and immerse yourselves in the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the joy of our Father, who is the source of our strength. People, Joy is something that definitely needs to be understood. We have to understand the theology of joy, true. And it needs to be experienced, sure. But know this, joy is also something that we must choose daily to do. You must choose to be joyful. When we give, when we serve, when we love, when we forgive, when we exercise patience, when we pray, when we pour over and trust in God's words, every time you do that, you are choosing joy. And though it may not seem like the first response we would ever make, especially, especially when times are hard, understand that joy is not based on the good or the bad. 
The joy is our strength is of our Lord. Only in Christ can you find this glorious and inexpressible joy. Only in Christ. You want to know Christ? Here he is. Right here. This is the challenge the Lord is placing upon our hearts today. If you notice, a lot of my sermon applications is simply this. Pray and read the Bible. Why? Because this is how the Lord has revealed himself to us today. Through the anointed, glorious words of our Father. Will you read? Will you immerse, will you immerse yourself into the truth, into the glorious wonders of our Lord Jesus Christ? Will you? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are joy. Nothing else in this world can even compare. And I pray that you will continue to teach us the difference between happiness and joy. And that there is no comparison, Father, for joy comes from you. It is eternal. It is powerful. It is good. It is life-giving. It is transformative. But happiness comes and goes like the wind, like the waves. Lord, I am not willing to bank my entire existence on things that fluctuate, on things that just are like vapors. No, Lord, I need you, oh God, my rock, my refuge. You are our stronghold. And that joy comes from you, the joy knowing who I am in your eyes, the joy of knowing that I was created for a divine purpose, the joy of knowing that I am loved by you, even as you fully know me, you fully love me. I thank you that nothing in this world and no one in this world can ever rob me of that joy. Nothing. Praise you, Father. Oh, praise you, Father. Let's take a moment to pray and to express thanksgiving for the joy that we have received from the Lord. Let's pray.